I don't think that Mardi Gras is generally known for decency and piety. Uh, it's probably better known for lewdness and self-indulgence. Anyway, Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. The idea of Fat Tuesday is before beginning a fast for Lent in supposed devotion to God, people gorge themselves on rich and fatty foods. And that seems like a very odd way to prepare for fasting, which is intended to help us draw closer to God in prayer. CNN Travel said about Mardi Gras, it's a day of revelry that includes parades, parties, and gastronomic indulgence before the Christian fasting season of Lent. So is revelry really a good way to prepare for self-denial and mortification of the flesh? Many ascetics uh, fast, and they consider fasting itself to be meritorious or deserving. Uh, Buddhists, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Taoists, Mormons, and other false religions fast in religious devotion to their false gods. Fasting can be quite political as well. In nonviolent resistance, people engage in political protest through uh, what many call hunger strikes. Uh, Gandhi fasted in protest of India's caste system and the disunity between Hindus and Muslims. Uh, Cesar Chavez uh, fasted in protest of unfair labor practices in farming. One time, Chavez actually fasted for 36 days. Um, some people fast for health reasons, like preparing for surgery, to improve their mental health, to lose some weight, and even to be more appreciative, generally, of food. So those types of fasts are very different than the fasting Jesus called his disciples to. Do we know how to fast to the glory of God and how fasting can be useful for us as believers? Now, my guess is we don't think much about fasting today, especially living in a gluttonous and a self-indulgent culture where our refrigerators and freezers could feed villages in third world countries. But we should think about fasting. We should talk about fasting. Um, Abraham Kuyper, he was a Dutch Reformed theologian of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and he was also an active politician was actually prime minister of the Netherlands, uh, so, so a very prominent Dutch figure. Kuiper said this, Today, there are still some found among the godly who fast, but very few. The practice has gradually died out. We no longer have congregational fasting. We have become estranged from fasting, and we do not count it among the means of edification. End of quote. And I think that that's true of the church today. We have become estranged from fasting and we don't count it among the means of edification for the church. Are you aware, brothers and sisters, how God could use fasting in your life to draw you closer to him? Would you use any means to draw closer to the God 
that you love, any good and biblical means to draw closer to God. Now, I should mention this before we, we get too far. Christians have, uh, I think, a lot of misconceptions about fasting. Christians can actually be superstitious about fasting and miss the point entirely. And so we really need to think carefully about fasting with the gospel in clear view. My outline this morning is pretty simple. First, what fasting is and right motivations to fast. Second, what fasting is not and wrong motivations to fast. And third, three points from Matthew 6, 16 through 18. So first, what fasting is and right motivations to fast. as you might imagine, Scripture says nothing about fasting from Facebook, technology, sumptuous desserts, or lattes from Starbucks. just doesn't talk about those things. Now, you may want to abstain from those things um, and other things like that, but fasting in Scripture is abstaining from, the, from food and, and sometimes drink, which sustain us. Uh, uh, but fasting is so much more than just not eating or drinking for a period of time. Fasting is done by faith in Christ with a spiritual and God-glorifying goal. Without faith, without humility, without contrition, without concern for God, fasting is empty ritual that may only provide physical benefits. John Calvin said this, For since fasting is in itself a thing indifferent and should have no importance except for the sake of those ends to which it ought to be directed, God does not greatly esteem fasting of itself unless an inner emotion of the heart is present and true displeasure at one's sin, true humility and true sorrowing arising from the fear of God, end of quote. Calvin's right. Fasting has no particular spiritual value until it is done with a heart craving the presence of God, grieving the presence of sin, and yearning for God's mercy, grace, and provision, and to excite more focused and more fervent prayer and thankfulness. The end of fasting is critical. Now, Christina and I are adding a master bath in our bedroom where an awkward vanity used to be in in the space. And I recently put in a tile floor where I created a mess of mortar. Uh, I was joking with people that there was more mortar on top of the tiles than what there there was underneath the tiles. But anyway, not quite that bad. But um, I use these little plastic spacers and you put wedges in and it keeps the tiles flat um, and, and even and spaced out. And so I use those to keep the tile uh, level and properly spaced. And after the, the mortar dried, I broke the plastic tabs off and I threw them away. They were only good as much as they helped me install the tile. Fasting is good to the degree that it helps believers seek after their God. 
Fasting is not the end. Knowing God and receiving his grace is the end. So what is true fasting? I'll start with some bones and then I'll put some muscle uh, to it. Fasting is not eating uh, and, and perhaps not drinking for a period of time, but it's more than that. Dr. Dan Doriani states, fasting is the opposite of feasting. Fasting is a religious abstaining from food for a set period of time in order to humble body and soul before God as a help in drawing near to him in prayer. A help of drawing near to him in prayer. Fasting helps one draw near to God in prayer. Dr. Guy Richard from Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta said, quote, Biblical fasting is a physical denial of food and sometimes of drink for a spiritual purpose. The English Puritan William Ames said this, Fasting is an abstinence from the helps and comforts of this life, whereby humility is showed, as it were, in a real confession. And we are made the more fit to make more effectual prayers. Hence, fasting considered by itself is not a good work and part of our obedience toward God. But as it disposes us to make more free, ardent, and more continued prayers, fasting is most religious when the whole mind is so attentive to seek God that thereby it is called away from the thought and care of those things which pertain to the life present, end of quote. So for Ames, fasting involved true humility and confession and was for the purpose of readying true believers for more effectual prayers. So fasting is useful in that it helps believers who have been touched by the sovereign grace of God attentively seek after their God in prayer. It is not itself a good work, but helps facilitate good works. Wilhelmus Abrockel was a Dutch uh, reform pastor of the 17th and 18th centuries and had a long and fruitful ministry for 49 years. And Abrockel said this, and I want you to listen very carefully. Fasting is a special religious exercise in which a believer deprives himself for a day from all that invigorates the body. Humbling himself in body and soul before God as a means to obtain what he desires. Pause there. Fasting is for the believer a means to obtain what he or she desires. Well, what should a believer desire? Abrockel continued, Fasting is a religious exercise, an exercise in which one seeks after God. It is God-focused and is intent, and its intent is to seek God thereby. It is a special exercise. It is not a daily activity such as prayer, reading, thanksgiving, and singing. End of quote. So, so for Abrakel, fasting was not a regular practice, but was a special exercise in which one seeks God in a special time of need. In, in light of 
this global outbreak of the coronavirus, Abrockel's words are relevant for us. So, so he continued, listen carefully. Rather, it is practiced at special seasons of need, such as being threatened or oppressed by the danger of a plague, having to engage in a very weighty task, perplexity, or having to make a choice concerning a weighty matter. It can even relate to everyday matters, such as seeking communion with God, the need for strength to oppose uh, specific sins, and growth in grace. End of quote. Believers fast so they can move, uh, so that they can more fervently focus on seeking their God. And when we find ourselves in a, in a threatening uh, situation or facing a weighty task, when we find ourselves disordered or needing to make a, a serious decision or desiring deeper intimacy with God or needing strength to overcome um, a certain besetting sin, we fast to pray. And, and when we sense our hunger, when we sense our weakness, when we sense our need, we are reminded and we're urged to seek after God in prayer for his mercy and grace. Brothers and sisters, perhaps fasting has fallen into disrepute for us today because we don't understand God's law and judgment. We feel self-sufficient and are not really conscious of our desperate need of God's grace in our struggles, the struggles of life and the war against our flesh and against the, the world and against the devil. To fast well, one must understand God's holiness, God's law, God's judgment, and then God's gospel and grace and their need of grace and the Holy Spirit. So with a little bit of research, uh, we can see in Scripture that there were personal and private fasts as well as a group and national fasts for various good purposes, self-humiliation before God, confession of sins, laying a specific petition before the Lord, especially petitions uh, um, arising out of anguish or danger or desperation. David and Bathsheba's uh, first son was deathly ill. The Lord had afflicted the child. 2 Samuel 12, 16 says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Now, what was David doing there? He was seeking God for mercy and grace. He was pleading with his heart to the Lord. David's son died. Uh, God did not spare the child. How David responded tells you something significant about trust in God and fasting. David, after his child died, after he interceded and, and God took his child, David went to the house of the Lord he worshiped and then returned home and told his servants this, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. 
but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David was a man confident in God's sovereignty and in God's goodness. He he fasted, he prayed, he wept, and God, in his providence, said no, took his son. David's son died, and David cleaned himself up, went to the house of the Lord, and worshiped God. David received God's painful providence, very painful providence with faith and confidence in God's sovereign goodness. Though God did not do what David wanted, David nonetheless worshiped God. David was not seeking in his fasting to manipulate or to twist the arm of God. I imagine that David's posture before the Lord was, Thy will be done. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat's enemies were coming against him in battle and he was afraid. Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Fasting and prayer, brothers and sisters, Understand this, fasting and prayer do not bind God in some way to respond exactly how we want him to. He responds according to his sovereign will, which is always the best and always good. Fasting helps us focus on the refrain of 2 Chronicles 20, to seek the Lord, to seek help from the Lord, to seek the Lord. That's the idea. There are many good places to go in Scripture to better understand fasting. Uh, But consider two more thoughts. In Daniel 9, verse 3, Daniel interceded for his people, and this is what he said, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So fasting was not Daniel's end. It accompanied Daniel's praying and pleading for mercy. The fasting helped Daniel turn his face to God to seek God in prayer. Also consider this, the gospel. We have no salvation if Jesus is not true God and true and righteous man. Righteous man. If Jesus sinned once, we have no sacrifice for our sins. So the pressure to fulfill the entire law was on Jesus Christ, and he succeeded. In Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4, Jesus fasted while in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. Now, why did Jesus fast? Jesus didn't fast to be tempted by the devil. You remember the bread temptation, not to be tempted by the devil, but that he would focus on his father and obedience to the law amidst being tempted by the devil. In other words, Jesus fasted to focus on the will of his father 
to presumably sharpen his prayers and to ready him for overcoming temptation and to fulfill the covenant of works for his needy people. Fasting was not his act of righteousness. It rather allowed him to focus on his father and fulfilling all righteousness. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Dr. Guy Richard gave seven good motivations to fast. And I want you to notice how strongly these motivations, these seven motivations, connect to prayer. I think they're inseparable. To seek the Lord. To express a wholehearted faith. To plead with the Lord, and that includes confession of sin. To seek wisdom and guidance. To express humble reliance upon God. To prepare ourselves against temptation. And to remind us to pray. See, If you feel hungry and weak and needy, you'll be reminded to ask God for his mercy and grace. Fasting. Fasting does not give us the right to ask God to align his will to our will. Fasting is weakening ourselves so we ask God to align our will to his will. Secondly, what fasting is not, and wrong motivations to fast. Without guilt, grace, and gratitude informing our fasting, fasting will be largely useless. Uh, Fasting is not self-denial for the sake of self-denial, as if self-denial is inherently virtuous. Now, this might be controversial, Uh, But I don't think biblical fasting is abstaining from Facebook or technology or sumptuous desserts or expensive drinks from Starbucks. As good as abstaining from those things might be for you. Uh, Fasting in scripture is abstaining from food and maybe drink, the food and drink that sustain you. Um, Guy Richard is right when he says, fasting is not a hunger strike to ensure that God will meet our list of demands. God abhors and ignores hunger strikes meant to move him to meet human demands. Fasting must be, Our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For some professing Christians, Fasting is superstition. If I do this for God, God must do this for me because of my devotion to him. And I don't, I don't think the, the New Testament commands fasting, although Jesus assumed it of his disciples. Some believers shouldn't fast if they're ill or pregnant or get or if they get sick from fasting or if they're in the hospital or something like that but but if we take fasting and we strip it of christian freedom we strip it of its ultimate god-centered purpose and make it a superstitious ritual in which we impress and sway god with our devotion so he does what we want 
well, then fasting is simply idolatry and self-righteousness. Fasting is not a covenant of works. That's important to understand. Pastor and author Danny Hyde said this, nor do we fast in a legal spirit as if it somehow earns us favor with God. The Puritan Matthew Barker said, all our duties, even our fasting and humiliations ought to be performed evangelically. And Danny Hyde adds, that is in a gospel-centered way with faith, hope, and love in Christ. End of quote. We must fast, brothers and sisters, excuse me, with the gospel in view. Our confidence before God is not in our devotion to God, but rather the Christ through whom we offer our petitions to God. The Pharisee of Luke 18 considered his frequent fasting part of his righteousness before God. He thought that he was better than others in part because of his ritualistic fasting. And that kind of self-righteous fasting is damnable. It's condemned. It's it's not accepted by God. God doesn't accept it, and, and it confuses God's law and God's gospel. Fasting is not even a little bit of our righteousness before God. Christ alone is our righteousness, brothers and sisters. Now, few Christians would say that fasting contributes to their salvation. But I think quite a few wrongly assume that their fasting is an act of devotion that moves God's heart to do what they ask because of their devotion. And that's self-righteousness. That's what we call works righteousness. That idolatrous purpose of fasting positions them then to resent God when he fails to do what they wanted. Fasting is not the means by which we merit the blessing of God. Christ is the sole means in whom we graciously receive the blessings of God. Fasting just readies us to pray, which aligns our hearts. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's sovereign providence and will. That's what we're asking in prayer. So we need to remember the Lord's Prayer that came right before this section on fasting from Matthew 6. I think they go together. Uh, Fasting derives from the gospel working in us and must be coupled with God-glorifying prayer as outlined in the, the Lord's Prayer. So fasting promotes and excites the Lord's Prayer, which in no way at all corresponds to rubbing a lamp, if you catch my drift. Out comes God to do what you command. That's not the idea. No, fasting involves the absence of food, but not the absence of thy will be done. Now, Three simple points from Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Number one, fasting is a voluntary part of the Christian life. Fasting is a voluntary part of the Christian life. Verse 16, and when you fast, did you catch that? 
when you fast. The assumption is the disciples of Jesus will indeed fast. Later in Matthew 9, verse 15, Jesus told the disciples of John, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, the assumption is that the the disciples of Jesus will fast after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus, and, and they will do so until they feast with their king in his consummated kingdom. Hallelujah. Fasting, dear brothers and sisters, fasting is not law. Unlike prayer, fasting is not commanded in the New Testament but fasting is good as it excites prayer. No hard and fast rules to fasting, no regulated times or amounts. Maybe it's one meal, two, one day, several days. So there is much freedom in fasting, much freedom in fasting. Fasting is not law. Now we have the inclination to turn fasting and prayer into a covenant of works. If I do this, then God will accept and love me. We also tend to find fasting and prayer quite difficult to do. And so we might do them reluctantly, not really with a great attitude about it. So what do we do if that's the case? We recognize, ugh, I don't even want to do this. What do we do? Well, I find a Brockles challenge helpful here. He said this, quote, Confess your aversion for such a day of prayer as sin before the Lord and ask that you may be fit to conduct yourself well on this day of prayer, end of quote. Confess it. Confess your aversion to fasting and prayer. Confess your aversion to going to God and seeking his face. Saints, even when we're really hungry and and, and even when we would rather eat a ginormous burger instead of fasting and praying, which resonates with me, I love burgers, in our hunger, our God is mercifully and graciously uncovering in us weakness and deep-seated sin He's uncovering actually an aversion to him. And and then that helps to humble us into his presence, to ask for his grace, to plead for his Holy Spirit, to transform us. So that's the freedom and that's the goodness of fasting. It serves us, brothers and sisters. Number two, fasting is done for the glory of God, our greater humility, and to urgently petition God for help and not to boost our self-esteem. Fasting does not make us any more or less righteous in God's sight. Our righteousness is Christ alone. Fasting does not earn us anything from God. It does not improve our standing before God. God is not more or less pleased with us when we fast. He is not impressed with us when we fast. We fast because we want to draw closer to him, to our Father who loves us, to receive his grace and blessings. If if we use fasting to boost our self-esteem, we misuse fasting. 
Fasting is not an ego booster. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Hypocrites are pretenders. They're actors. They perform for the crowd. And they wear the mask of weakness and and gloom. But inside, I am pious. I am religious. I am spiritual. I am exemplary. My faith is the model of devotion and virtue. Oh, consider me holy as I consider myself holy. That's what's going on underneath the mask of of gloom. Now, what an act that is. The only reward that hypocrites get in fasting is perhaps some accolades from others and their own self-regard. They have no blessing from God. Like Jesus said earlier in Matthew 6 about giving to the needy and praying, hypocrites receive no gracious reward from God because of their self-righteous fasting. None at all. Jesus will say later in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So to seek self-esteem, self-worth, Self-promotion, self-righteousness is not to seek God. The Apostle Peter wrote, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then Peter added, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So true fasting promotes self-humiliation, and self-disregard, which excites prayer and seeking God. Jesus tells us how to do it. Verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. How different that kind of fasting is from the fasting of the hypocrites. Hypocrites seek their own glory. God's children seek the face of their father. Now, we don't need to ritualistically wash our faces and anoint our heads literally with oil. Uh, Understand what Jesus was getting at there. Look normal. Look healthy. Uh, Try to look as if you're not fasting, not to be duplicitous, not to be two-faced, but to be humble and modest. Uh, In private, deny your flesh, weep and plead, pour out your, your soul before God, but otherwise carry on as usual. So be careful, dear ones, be careful. Uh, Do some self-reflection here. Might you fast, or we could say do Christian acts, uh, do good works, respond in obedience, worship, do the Christian things, okay? Do you fast and do other Christian things in order to convince yourself that you are devoted to God? 
might you do Christian stuff not to express humility and faith and gratitude, not to draw near to God per se, but to assure yourself that you're really committed. We have to reflect upon these things. It can be very subtle sometimes in our lives, brothers and sisters. And instead of resting in Christ alone as our righteousness and reason were accepted and loved by God, we can direct our gaze to our piety and our sacrifice and our devotion and then think, well, God has to accept and love me. Look at what I'm doing for him. If I do enough for him, I can rest secure then in my salvation. You see, we want comfort and assurance, but we are tempted to try to find our comfort and assurance in our devotion to God instead of Christ's devotion to God and Christ's devotion to us. So it is possible to affirm justification by faith alone, hallelujah, but then to look to our fasting or acts of devotion or acts of obedience as our assurance, as our means to remain accepted and loved by God when Christ alone is our comfort and assurance. We need to think carefully about these things. Fasting is absolutely worthless if not done by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ who alone is our righteousness before God. Fasting can't be fasting until it has that deep-seated trust in the justification that Christ himself is for us. So do you understand these things? Number three. Fasting is done for the gracious reward of our Heavenly Father. Verse 18, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right there is the gift. That's the gift. Now we've heard this phrase before, and again, it is imperative that you understand that reward does not mean deserved excuse me, deserved compensation. They're not the same thing. Reward here is entirely grace upon grace upon grace. Heidelberg 63 is right. The reward God gives for good works is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Fasting is not a covenant of works. Do this and receive from God. That's not what it is. Fasting is something physical that we do that God has graciously given us to excite us unto prayer in which we express our desire for God's grace and spirit, ask for his grace and spirit, and thank him for receiving his grace and spirit. We are body and souls, dear saints, uh, body and soul, rather, and, and praying with fasting is body and soul seeking God and his good gift. So with the gospel in mind, and as we seek him in Christ, God will graciously reward us in our fasting and prayer. John Calvin said about fasting, it is pleasing to God only so far as it is directed to another object, and that is to train us to abstinence, to subdue the lust of the flesh, 
to excite us to earnestness in prayer and to testify our repentance when we are affected by the view of the tribunal of God, end of quote. The coronavirus is a global threat. People are getting sick. Some are dying. So how many of us have experienced something like this in our lifetime? None, none of us, I guess. We're tempted to make prayer and fasting all about physical relief and safety from the coronavirus. Oh, keep us safe, God. And that, that, that's good, but we're tempted to make it all about that. And so might God desire us to have a different focus? Might there be a bigger opportunity here than safety from the coronavirus? Now, we are threatened by the coronavirus, but that is not our greatest threat. It's not the world's greatest threat. Calvin mentioned fasting to subdue the lust of the flesh, to testify our repentance when we are affected by the view of the tribunal of God. And that means the judgment seat of God. Does a view of the judgment seat of God, the justice of God, affect you during this time? Our greatest global threat is the law and justice of God, not the coronavirus. Our greatest threat is the sin inside us, the the temptations of the world, the schemes of the devil, and the just wrath and judgment of God. The, The coronavirus reminds us of God's hatred of sin and his divine wrath and judgment. And we would be wise to heed God's warning to fast together before our Father in humility, confession, repentance, and pleading for him to revert this danger. Our greatest desire must be that the kingdom of Christ come in full. Yes, we want the coronavirus to be eradicated, but even more, we want everyone in the world to hallow God's name to flourish under his reign and rule in his kingdom, to desire and follow his preceptive will, to turn to him not only in times of trouble and threat, but in times of prosperity and well-being, to receive the goodness of his grace in Christ with the forgiveness and pardon of sin and the strength to turn away from the temptation of evil. And the devil, and as much as the coronavirus excites people unto that, those glorious ends, then it is Romans 8, 28 coming true. We must plead with God for all those things that are in the Lord's prayer. And let fasting aid us unto that great end. The leading elders of Jerusalem Church are calling for a church fast on Good Friday. So if you are able, again, not a law, not a law, but if you are able, um, we ask you to, to join us in the fast there, and you can find information on our website on the Resources for Family Worship page. I believe the link is below. So more, more information on there to help you. So brothers and sisters, what if... <clears throat> What if we would fast together on Good Friday, April 10th, go before the Lord seeking his face, 
what might our Father do to draw people to himself, to strengthen our faith, to mortify sin in us, to sanctify us more fully during this time, to draw us closer to him in greater dependence? What if, what if he would be pleased to do these things for us? So whether you fast or not, pray. Please pray. Pray that God grants us his mercy and his grace and his blessings in Christ.